Today we wrap up our series called Questions of a Skeptic. And so we've been going through these questions that you've seen up on, this, uh, on, on the screens, and we've dealt, d- dove into those over the last several weeks, and, uh, and I just uh, appreciate questions. Questions uh, show that we want understanding, that we want uh, truth, that we want to know what God's Word has to say. And so over these last several weeks, you guys have been submitting questions uh, to us, and so we were able to group those together for, for some of the previous week's uh, topics. But for today, we're going to change up the format a little bit different. We're going to try to get through a lot of questions. And, uh, and so to help me with that process, I'm going to ask uh, Cameron Lippert to come on up. He's our community life pastor. Would you welcome Cameron up to the, the stage? Thank you. Cameron does a tremendous job uh, just uh, coordinating all of our, our ministries that help our, us connect as a, as a body and as a community. But in this uh, format, like we've got this whole stack of, of questions here. So we're, you guys ready for a couple hours of this? Uh, to go through. So yeah, if, if you're new here, you know, this is not how we normally approach our, our Sundays, uh, but, but we wanted to, do, to really address as many questions as we can that you have asked. And as we dive into these questions, one thing we got to know is I can't give a, a full, thorough, deep answer to a lot of these questions because we just don't, don't have the time for that. And also, I don't think this is the forum for that. Because really, the best way to deal with these questions is in conversation, is to be around others and to seek learning and to dive into them and, and to, to build relationship on these questions. And so, um, and I don't want to be the answer man. This is not about just going, here's a question, the answer it, and then we'll move on. Um, I do want to look at scripture and really see that as a foundation for, for how we respond and, and looking for guidance on some of these questions, some tougher than others. Uh, and I also want to say that for a lot of these questions, even from the previous weeks, People uh, that, that would call themselves Christians and believers uh, look at Scripture and can sometimes find Scripture to say other things and different things and come to different conclusions. And so we want to just be respectful in the sense that what we really want to do is seek God's Word, but there may be um, a range of responses to some of these questions, and that's why we need dialogue to look through those things. But the key is, are we united in the essentials of our faith on who Jesus Christ is and the salvation that he, he gave us through his sacrifice on the cross and, and some of these core beliefs? But in a lot, of, a lot of these questions, some of these other ones, there is a range of understanding and views, and I'm so glad we're in a place where we can have uh, openness to, to be together as a community, to wrestle through some of these things together, but to continue to seek Christ. So that's just kind of as a foundational piece, Cameron. Yeah. Um, you've you've kind of helped group some of these questions together, and, and so you're going to help moderate and maybe be the voice of the people here. I don't know. Yeah, we'll, see how, we, we'll see how this goes. People can slip me questions up here and we'll <laughs> no, see if we can no get harder and harder. No. And I worked in a few that um, are some doozies that, in, in addition to what Mark is not prepared for. Let's go. So, um, <laughs> No, but I, like you said, I think that you know we're 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 today we're focusing on one aspect of faith, which is the mind, right? Mm-hmm. And so we we have a whole other aspect of of the heart, and so that's what we're really not talking about today. But these questions, some of these questions are so good. So thank you for um, for those of you that turn these in, and hopefully we'll get an opportunity to do this again, and you can ask more and more challenging questions. Each time. No, no, this so. was a hard one. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was like preparing like 30 sermons, 30 mini sermons for that's, today. That's so. right. No. Um, well, yeah, to, to go through these questions, we tried to group them um, in, in kind of some topics that made sense. And so uh, I have here kind of in an order. Um, so we'll, we'll just try to fly through. And okay. if I feel like maybe we need to move ahead, I'll, I'll maybe just cut, me just off. cut you off. Say Beep, we got I it. need a buzzer. Yeah. We need a, <laughs> and, um, so we'll get. Uh, so you'll see the topics up here. Uh, this first one is heaven, hell, uh, and Jesus's return. So we're really talking about kind of um, in, in times. Um, but this first one: Are there 
rewards in heaven, and are there different levels of punishment in hell? Rewards in heaven, different levels of punishment in hell. Let's just jump right into heaven and hell. Sound good? All right? Yeah. Uh, so either somebody feels like they're doing really well and they want to know what kind of rewards they're getting, and somebody's really nervous and going, are there like lesser levels of punishment that I get in hell? I don't know. We'll see. But, uh, but first of all, I would just say heaven and hell is the, this, this dividing line that, that we see in Scripture of the, the reward and the punishment in, in, as far as just the big picture. And even if we look in in the book of Revelation, we've got, uh, we've got Revelation 20, and I just wanted to, to read here what it says at the final judgment, Revelation 20, verse, uh, verse 12. It says, uh, and, and here's John, he's getting this image of, of the end days, and he says, I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne, and the books were opened, including the book of life, and the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. All were judged according to their deeds. Um, and anyone whose name was, so the lake of fire, and then anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown in the lake of fire. So, um, you know, we don't like to focus on that t- too much, but there's this reality, this eternal reality that Scripture talks about, but each one will be judged according to their deeds, Scripture talks about. Now, now there's a fundamental reward that all who believe in Christ, all who have given their life to Christ, who fall on the grace of Jesus on the cross, will receive the reward of heaven, and that is the reward. And so when we think, though, about what are the different levels of reward, where does that come from? And as we, we looked at Scripture, as I kind of studied through, it, it does seem that, that this sowing and reaping principle that we also experience in life, where what we sow, we also reap, plays itself out also in, in eternity. And there seems to be some statements that Jesus and others make that there will be greater will be the reward, or greater will be their punishment. So there does seem to be some degrees of that, or the, the disciples will sit on, on 12 thrones, but Scripture does not get very specific in saying, do this and you will get X reward and this reward and this reward. The goal is that we get to the other side and that we receive that reward in full. And, and what does, Scripture does talk about is um, that, that we can lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven, so that we can actually put treasures in heaven by the way we live our lives, the way we serve, and I think for me, that, that reward, I think, is people. It's the only thing that we can send ahead is souls and people that have come to know Christ and pouring ourselves out for that. Uh, God will bring that reward. But, but really, Scripture also talks about the rewards in this life mm. and the rewards that we receive here for serving the kingdom. And, and he talked to the disciples saying, you'll receive 100 times what you have given up, both in this life and the next. Although he says, but also with persecution, with challenge. So it's not just that. But we, and as, as believers, when we come to know Christ, when we have that saving faith, eternity begins now. And I think that's a really important thing to remember, that we are already living out eternity and that those rewards uh, come now. And even some of the consequences and the pain of some of the, the sin and things we do, we, we experience those in this life. So uh, I think there are different levels, but I wouldn't hang my hat on that and make yeah. a big uh, theology about that. The goal is to, to, to get there. So it doesn't have to do necessarily with how much we give <laughs> to the church financially, right? That's no, a big question. No, okay, that, good. That's, that, yeah, um, that's just rewards good. in this life, maybe. Um, but <laughs> a, a, w- the second part of that was different levels of punishment in hell, though. Is that, is that part of... Yeah, because like I, I think there, there's some, there are a few verses that would say greater is their punishment or those that had never known, and it seems that there is uh, some level of that. But as we talk today, there's several questions that have to do with um, judgment and with eternity. And, and I'll, I'll say this probably several times. When it comes to the matters of ultimate judgment and destiny, we are, we are not the determiners of that. And that is ultimately God's responsibility. And I continue to rest on his, his goodness and his grace, but also that he is a just and righteous God. And so we can leave that 
to him. And again, our, our responsibility is what, what we are accountable for, for now. Yeah. I mean, it does even say things like for those that are in, t- in leadership or teaching that, that they will be held to a higher accountability. And so that makes me nervous all the time <laughs> because it seems to be like, God said, I'm going to weigh it a little heavier if you're going to speak in front of people. So there does seem to be some, yeah. some yeah. level of that. Well, in hell is hell. I mean, different levels. It's yeah, I don't think if you're asking that question, bad, you so. should probably yeah. just, uh, make sure you don't um, figure out which level. This next question, uh, why, <laughs> why has Jesus not come back to earth again? Yeah, this is a, this is a tough one, I, and I don't, know, I don't know the answer to that, but I do know that the same question was asked and was addressed in, in the Bible in 2 Peter. And let's see if I can do a better job finding 2 Peter here today. I, you know, it's like you guys, sometimes I flip through and the, the, a book disappears. But in 2 Peter chapter 3, you know, why has Jesus not come back yet? We've been waiting. It's been hundreds of years, thousands of years. At some point, are we going to be like, he ain't coming back, and this is all, you know, I think that's what's behind that, that question. Well, here, Peter addresses this in, in uh, 2 Peter chapter 3. He said, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come mocking the truth and following their own desires. They will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? And so then he, he, a little bit later, he says, but you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent but as the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. And then, and then he says, okay, so what is, if he's giving us patience, he's waiting, what, what do we do in the meantime? He says, and so, dear friends, verse 14, while you are waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. And remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. And so I think really the, the, the foundational piece here is that it's God's patience and his grace and his mercy giving us time and wanting none to perish. And so what I see from that is really a couple things. We're not going to dabble a lot and spend a lot of time here at, at McDowell on end times teaching and, 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 and all these pieces because I really sum up my you know, end times teaching in, in about two words, and it's this. It's be ready, right? Our focus needs to be be ready. Now, it's good to talk about those things and have conversation but really the emphasis is on what we know and that we live uh, before God so that we're ready when he comes. And Jesus shares several parables uh, and stories about that piece as well. So mm. that's where... Yeah, and there's a whole study on it called mm-hmm. Eschatology, yep. and there's a lot of books and resources about all these topics today. So if you, if you want more information about these, let us know, and we can, we can connect you with a good resource. So, um, okay, moving forward. So this next, next uh, section... Uh, kind of, you talked a few weeks ago, Mark, about suffering, and so I think these questions really came tied to that, uh, but this is more about ailments maybe that people are born with. Uh, so this first question, what does, why does God allow people to become addicts? Why does God allow people to become addicts? And I think a reminder here with some of these questions that, again, they're not just, again, a theological or philosophical football to kick around. I mean, this is real people, real questions. We don't know who, you know, who asked these questions, but maybe somebody personally dealing with addiction or, or a family or friend that uh, figuring out, like, how, how can God allow someone into addiction? And so uh, first to acknowledge that, I think a key word for me in that question is the word allow, and I think it's, it's actually the right word. A few weeks ago, we talked about the importance of free will, even as it relates to suffering and the challenge and to those pieces. And so the idea of uh, allowing is that uh, God allows our, us to make the choices that we make, that we have the choice to, to pursue uh, one thing or another, that we can do good or evil, that, and, and addictions are part of that, that, that challenge. And 
What I take comfort in, though, is I think Paul in, in Romans chapter 7, he, he expresses what I think so many addicts or, or us that aren't uh, maybe specifically dealing with that right now could relate to. He says, oh, he goes, you know, the things that I want to do, I don't do. I want to do good, and I don't do good, and I do the opposite. I want to do right, but instead I end up doing wrong. And he says, what a miserable person I am. And he just talks about this, this tension that he feels because he says, look, we're, there's really this war going on within me that I want to really do the right things, but I can't. And I think so many times that, to me, is like this, the struggle of the addict or the struggle of somebody stuck and trapped in, in a sin. And then he ultimately says, who will save me from this life so dominated by sin? And then he answers his own question. He says, it's Jesus Christ. And, and really this idea that he's the one that's going to lead us out of that. So again, addiction, a, a tough, tough challenge, but Jesus provides a way out through his relationship, through, through other people, through healing and restoration. And that's, where, that's how I understand um, addictions in general. Yeah, and a big part of that is not so much the physical healing, but the spiritual healing mm. uh, that takes place in the, those lives. So um, kind of related to this, uh, in essence, is why does Alzheimer's exist? But kind of a follow-up question, um, why with people born with mental illness or other struggles or other ailments, uh, if someone is mentally ill, how do you deal with that? But then uh, what happens if they take their own life? Do they, in fact, go to hell? Yeah, again, people dealing with um, these issues either personally or with a family member or a loved one, it's tough. When you, when you watch families come around somebody that's suffering with, with Alzheimer's or with dementia or mental illness and caring for a child or even an adult that's, uh, that has varying degrees of, of, of disability and challenge, it's, it's hard to see that. And so you look at that and say, God, again, the, the bottom question here, underlying question is always why? God, why? And, and again, we, a couple weeks ago we talked about pain and suffering and the challenges but this question was also brought before Jesus in a similar way. The disciples brought to Jesus this, this man who had been blind from birth. So he was born with, with, uh, with blindness. So again, kind of related to some kind of ailment or infirmity or challenge that, that somebody is born with. And they bring him to Jesus and they said, Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? And so their assumption was something had to have gone wrong. Somebody had to have made a mistake or there had to be some sin because obviously being blind would be a punishment was, was, their, was their bottom um, understanding, bottom line understanding. And Jesus was very quick to answer. He said, no, neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that the power of God could be revealed, so that the glory of God could be shown through him. And eventually Jesus healed him and he, began, he, he shared his testimony. I once was blind, but, but now I see. And and now, you know, why, didn't Jesus, why doesn't Jesus heal everyone is another question, but I know that in the time of Jesus, uh, blindness wasn't eradicated all throughout Jerusalem. He didn't heal every single blind person. He, he healed some, and he didn't heal others, and that's a tough thing to deal with. But what I see here is he said, so the power and the glory of God could be revealed. And as I've walked alongside some families that have dealt with these challenges or with family members in this state, one thing I see is this beautiful relationship that often develops, and that, that is so strong, and that bond that is there, and that through that person, through that relationship, God is revealed, through that, through that struggling, through that, through that suffering, that Jesus comes alongside, and he enters into those situations, and we really get to see God at work. And, and sometimes, with some of these, these individuals, you, you see a, a beauty. There, there's a lack of inhibition sometimes that, that, that just allows God's spirit to flow differently and more, more freely than it does through some of us who would say we have it all figured out and we're all put together and, and we put up our guard. And so it's, it's a tough question, but, but I think, again, God allows himself to be mm. revealed through that. And Well, as far as suicide, I guess that, yeah. that's another just a 
tough question. I think th that was connected to mental yeah. illness. So I think this question, if somebody's not in the right state, would, would God still hold them responsible is what sure. I'm getting from that. But let me just talk about suicide um, in general. And as I was thinking about this, looking up some of the statistics, that uh, the reported instances of suicide attempt are about 500,000 a year. So there are many more that probably never get reported. Think about that, half a million attempts a year. And that 40,000 of those are successful, meaning that they result in, in suicide. And the two top groupings in that are girls that are between the ages of 10 and 14 and men between the ages of 45 and 65 are the, t the biggest categories in suicide from, from the research that I saw. And, and it's, a troubling, it's a troubling piece. And so the question that when it comes to faith is, if the last thing, you know, he brings you to that point and people come to a desperate place that, are, that, are, you know, that commit suicide, uh, if, they, if the last thing you do as a living person is commit a sin of murder, killing yourself, can God forgive? It was often considered the unforgivable, unpardonable sin. Uh, it, and, and so, again, this is a question of judgment, where in the end I would say, you know, ultimately this person has to stand before God and what that decision is. But as I look at a few pieces, one, I would say the more important piece is where is this person in life in their relationship with Christ? Yes, believers struggle with depression. Believers struggle with suicidal thoughts, and believers struggle with anxiety and panics and, 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 and things that maybe lead to, to some of these severe places. And, and, and yet, uh, the point is, where are they at their, their point? Is our, is our, at their point of, of death, is our faith so fragile that we can be in here and worship God with everything we are, we've given our lives to Him, and then somehow on the way out of here, we get angry, or we have a bad thought, or something happens, and we get hit by a bus, that all of a sudden now we go, you didn't get the chance to repent at that last second, so you're probably damned for eternity. I mean, if, if we have that kind of theology, I think grace is very weak, and grace is not strong. So I think, you know, when we are held within God, when we are in that relationship, uh, God forgives, and God redeems, and God restores and, and so I think even in this issue, whether it's suicide, and that's why God can forgive murderers and, and whatnot, because it is resting on the grace of, of God. And, and, and the bigger question, I think, for us is how do we come alongside people to help alleviate that, that, this feeling that this is the only option, this is the yeah. only way to go, whether it's teenagers or men in 45 to 65. Yeah, and it's not just riding the fence, you know, mm -hmm. like worrying about your day, you know, did I speed? Oh my gosh, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. um, that sort of thing. But I think that, you know, the other, the other part of that is um, in all things, God can work for good. Mm -hmm. So even in, in those ailments, those lifelong uh, challenges that people face, God can work good in those things as well. Um, so in this next section, some of these sections uh, were kind of hard to name or group together. Uh, this next one I, I called abortion, aliens, Jews, and flying cockroaches. <laughs> Go. Go! <laughs> uh, uh, no, you guys, you guys were very creative with some of your questions. Um, <laughs> this first one, though, I think is, is very topical in our society. It's something that is constantly debated. Uh, it says, uh, what about abortion? What will God do to the woman who has had one? And then this gets really personal, Mark. Are we still loved? Will we be forgiven? Yeah, very personal question. Thank you for being vulnerable and asking these, these difficult questions. And I think they speak to 
the power of these questions or these doubts that we have that we wrestle with, that they make, make us wrestle with our faith. They make us wonder where, where do we stand. And, and what I hear behind this question is potentially a lot of guilt or shame or regret or worry and, and, and really this, this question, am I still loved by God? And, and really wondering, does, this, does this, this abortion that I had or that maybe somebody else had, it does, does that separate me in relationship from God? And, and I, like, as you said, it's a very divisive issue, and this isn't a question about is abortion right or wrong, or when is, when is a life viable? Is it at heartbeat, at conception, at breath? Is it at, we're, we're not talking about that right now, and, and again, there's many different views on that, but I think what we're dealing with here is this, this, this pain, this guilt that feels like I, I've committed a, a pretty serious sin, and how do I get over that, or how do I move past that? And so, I think just similar to what I said earlier, though, is, is God's grace forgives and, and his healing is strong. And I think a repentant heart that comes before mm-hmm. him, God does forgive and God does heal and begins restoration. And he says, okay, like from this point in your life now, let's, let's move forward and let's, let's walk together in grace. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't still consequences or pain or mm-hmm. at moments where this happens, but, but allowing God to really bring that healing and that forgiveness, I think you can say, yes, God loves you. Yes, God does forgive you. And yes, God wants to reestablish and, and build your life moving forward. Yeah. And regardless of the answer to that question about abortion, mm-hmm. what would it look like if we as a community were known mm-hmm. as, hey, I, no matter what happened, no matter what the situation, I did feel loved mm-hmm. and I did feel forgiven. Um, what will the story of the Bible be? I like this one. When we find intelligent life elsewhere in the universe. <laughs> Not if, but when. We should do a whole series on aliens, right? Uh, I'm not sure we found intelligent life yet on this world, and so if uh, we'll cross that bridge, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. <laughs> I mean, as far as Scripture goes, God, it's, you know, tells us God created the heavens and the earth and the world, and, 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 and so we are responsible for, for what we know. It is interesting that in the last several decades of space, space exploration and Hubble telescopes and satellites being sent out, that, that the universe just continues to expand beyond what we can even know, and yet life has not been found in those and so I assume that if there is, God will have a plan of redemption as well, or maybe that's a mission, a missionary assignment to, to go and to bring the gospel to the aliens. Um, but, but Paul does talk about in the Bible, actually, you know what? Paul says, we are foreigners and aliens here, that we are not of this world, is the description of believers. So really, we're the aliens, according to Ephesians, when Paul writes, saying this, this place isn't our ultimate home, and that there is a... That, that we are to, to spend eternity with, with Christ. And so the Bible does actually address aliens a little yeah, bit. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> um, this, this question terrifies me. <laughs> what was God thinking when he created the flying cockroach? <laughs> I think what God was thinking was this is going to be really fun. I'm going to take a real nasty cockroach. I'm going to put wings on it. And then I'm going like, to have it like fly on people and watch them freak out. And then that's how I'll get my, uh, my, my joy on that. I have no idea. Uh, and I'll be asking the question, God, why did you create the mosquito as well? That's one of my wife's primary questions. So someday we'll hopefully find out the answer to that. Uh, I didn't even know flying cockroaches existed. So I'm walking away more terrified We should have pulled up a than, picture or something. I didn't uh, think about that. Yeah. Uh, this next question, uh, it appears that most of the people who put Jesus to death were the Jewish high priests and elders. Um, why shouldn't we be mad at those Jewish people? 
Yeah, well, I think, first of all, we, I, don't, I don't think we should be mad at, at, at any race as a whole or any group of people mm. as a whole. And, and yet, I think what's behind this question is uh, maybe even some of the support of Israel or things like that in, in general that, that we see in, in, in some churches stronger in, in politics. But, but really saying, well, are the, basically asking who's responsible and shouldn't we hold those, those people responsible? What I, what I, to answer this question, I simply would just go to Jesus, who himself was a Jew and uh, would, came from, the, you know, from the, the, the Hebrew people. And when he was on the cross, literally hanging on the cross, I mean, he was, was being executed. He went through that, that farce of a trial that the, Hebrew, that the Jewish people took him through and then went before Pilate, who didn't necessarily find fault but still condemned him to death. So really, everyone guilty across the board on this. Here he is on the cross in, in the state of, of, of death, and he looks out and he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. And I feel like if Jesus can say, look, I don't hold them responsible, that I forgive them, that that's how I would view that question. Yeah. It's ultimately all of us contribute mm-hmm. to the sinfulness that's in the world, not yeah. just uh, any given people. Well, and, and, and Scripture also talks about the, that the rulers and powers and principalities in this world, that they are put in place there by God, that the authorities are placed there to accomplish His purposes, and so that God's plan prevails uh, through these pieces as well. And so even those at the time that were in those uh, places of authority were not a surprise to God. Yeah, yeah, and Jewish history is also a part of our history. It's a mm-hmm. part of our Bible. It's a part of our stories as well. So, um, Okay, moving to this next sec- section. Um, salvation, Mormons, the Trinity, and God's preexistence. So, You're still with us? You're still with us? Ready? Can you yeah. guys keep going? All these we're different about directions? to get deep. <laughs> if we did it already, these are your questions. Uh, so, yeah, you know, so, we should ask different questions. Maybe I, don't I got know. names attached to these. No. I'm just joking. I don't. Um, <laughs> Where are we? <laughs> yeah. Uh, do you have to believe in the Bible to believe in God, and do you have to believe in Jesus to believe in God? Okay. Kind of a two-parter. Two-parter. Well, do you have to believe, let me start with the second one. Do you have to believe in Jesus to believe in God? We talked about it a few weeks ago about why is Christianity so exclusive. We looked at John 14, 6, Jesus saying, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So you can listen to that, uh, that message again, but the answer for me on that one is yes, we do need to believe in Jesus to believe in God. And, and really one of the main points of that message too was that all religions and all faiths are actually exclusive. All truth by definition is exclusive. And Jesus was exclusive saying, I'm the way to the Father. But also, Jesus said that he was very inclusive in his invitation of who is invited and that the path and the way is open to all. But to the first question, do we have to believe in the Bible? And this is really interesting because the Bible obviously holds a very prominent place within the church and within Christian faith. But sometimes I think it's actually been elevated too high in that it's been elevated to the status of God. Nowhere in Scripture are we told to believe the Bible, to believe the Bible. Now, what we do through Scripture, and it's the central focus of everything that we have, is that the Bible is actually a lens that reveals to us who Jesus is. It reveals to us who God is. Scripture says that that Jesus was the eternal word, the logos that existed from all time, and it's Scripture that points us to him, that helps us understand who he was and who he is and who the Holy Spirit is. And so I think believing in the Bible is, is, is a question, depending on how I'd, you'd phrase it, whether you, know, you have to say that I, I believe versus saying, I mean, I believe what the Bible says is true, and I, I believe that the Bible points us to the eternal word of God and that, it is, that we can have full confidence in God's word and, and, and that there, it is truth for life. If that's what you mean in believing in the Bible, yes, I'd say those are important foundations, but it is not itself Jesus. It is not the Holy Spirit. It is not the Trinity. Mm. So um, 
That's yeah, yeah, no, and I, th I think too, um, some people get wrapped into this concept of, um, you know, Jesus is a narrow way, path to get to God, but Jesus is God, as you mm -hmm. mentioned. The word was God and mm -hmm. there from the beginning, so it, eternally Jesus is essentially God, and so theologians say ontologically equal, so that's a big And I might also say, too, so. some of it might be, well, if you have trouble, if you have a, if you, some hang-ups, you know, in Scripture, or maybe you're still having some doubts, or I don't get this story, or, or those pieces, where if that's the hang-up, I would say, if that's what keeps you right now from believing in God, you're trying to believe in the Bible. Let the, 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 let the Bible reveal who Jesus is and who God is to you, and, and you'll mm. continue to work through those other pieces. And so you just kind of hit on this next question, but Egyptians, Aztecs, mm. Uh, many civilizations lived long before the Hebrew Bible, uh, never had an opportunity to hear the good news, the gospel of Jesus. Are all these civilizations doomed with no chance of heaven? So yeah, the question, are there civilizations that existed before Jesus, and so they didn't know the way of salvation, so are they, are they doomed if Christ is, is the way? So really good, really good uh, questions to think through. Doomed? No, I don't, I don't think that's, that's the right word. Again, we're talking about a judgment, right, eternity kind of question, so I, I sit back and can, can say, I'm so glad I'm, I'm not God, but at the same time, you know, God, again, is going to weigh justice and mercy and grace and truth. But a couple of handles that we do have on this particular piece, uh, there is a passage in Romans. It's um, Romans chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. And, and Paul is actually talking about those that, that, that don't know Christ, that have not heard, heard of Christ. And he says, the truth about God is known to them instinctively. God has put his knowledge in their hearts. From the time the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky and all that God made, and they can clearly see his invisible qualities his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse whatsoever for not knowing God. So this verse seems to tell us that there is a way of, of having knowledge and insight knowing that there is a creator, that there is a God, and that God uses those things to reveal himself, and that God can even reveal himself through, through Jesus, just like he did even Paul on the way to the road to, to Damascus, this encounter with Christ that he experienced very personally. So God has a way that he can get his word to the people that need it and the way that it works. Uh, and, and how he does that, that I don't know. But I think that we, get a, we do get a real neat insight in the book of Revelation. It says in Revelation 5 verse 9 that when John um, got, saw this glimpse of heaven and, and the judgment and, and people gathered around, he said this, he saw people from every tribe and language and people from every nation. And so would that include the, the, the Aztecs and the Egyptians, that there would be people represented from every tribe and language and tongue? And, and, and so that this idea is that God will have his witness um, go, go forth. But, but now you start splitting hairs and all these things. The, the big piece, though, I think for us is this needs to inspire us as to why we are on mission as a church, why we have a great commission to go and to reveal Christ, to let people know who he is and the saving grace, and that this is what ought to spur us into, into the, the mission locally and, and globally. Can Mormons call themselves Christians? No. <laughs> I, just, I just wanted one answer that was a yes-no question. That I are you awake? Yeah, so are you listening? <laughs> um, can Mormons call themselves Christians? Yes, they can. That's what they are. They're, they, they do. They call, many call themselves Christians, and, and they call themselves Christians because um, they understand Jesus as, as their Savior. They talk about Jesus redeeming them and, and dying on the cross for the forgiveness of their sins. And so they have many, many theological points where we would say, that sounds exactly like what Christians believe. And they would even say, well, we are called the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Of course, we should be called Christians. But 
Mormons believe they should be able to be called Christians. The Christian community as a whole and Christianity would say, no, Mormons shouldn't be allowed to call themselves Christians because their understanding of Christ uh, and, and the Trinity and, and of God, these fundamental, what we would call orthodox teachings that are accepted between Catholics and Protestants and Eastern Orthodox, really rest on the centrality of Christ and who Christ is is. And so they, just for one example, would say Jesus is a created being. He is not equal with God. He is not God himself. They would even say that God, uh, the Father, God eternal, is also a created being, that he was once a man, if I understand this correctly. I'm not a, a Mormon scholar, but from what I understand, that he too uh, became, they became a God, and that we should aspire one day in eternity to become gods of our own planet and propagate the there's there's some you know there's some really difficult beliefs to 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 wrestle through so many different things and and so when you get back to those fundamentals there's definitely a parting of paths and and there's a scripture in uh, in Galatians chapter 1 6 to 8 where Paul is talking about what do we do when people preach a different gospel than the one that we read that Paul brought and he said here's what he says he said, you are following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but is not the good news at all. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. Let God's curse fall on anyone, including us, or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preach to you. And so when we think about the Book of Mormon and other things that have been added on and different beliefs beyond that, it really goes beyond the gospel that was first shared. And we believe that is enough and is what God has given us, so... How can God then, you kind of reference this, uh, how can God be three entities in one? How can God be three entities in one? This is, uh, so when we talk about the three entities in one, why do you talk about God? We talk about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And, and if you've heard the word Trinity, have you all heard the word Trinity, right? Um, what's interesting to many people is when, I, when we talk about, all right, let's turn to this scripture where we're going to see, and we're going to see the word Trinity. Trinity is, the word is actually not anywhere in scripture. We do not have that term Trinity in, in the Word of God. Where did it come from? It comes from the word triune, tri, which is three, and un, which is unity, so the three that are unified as one. And so this, this theology of the Trinity emerged, and, where, and it's really hard to, to really wrap our minds around it, but sometimes, you know, mathematically, some would say, well, we think it's one plus one plus one. Shouldn't that equal three? So how can that be one? But maybe thinking about it as one times one times one times one equals one. And if you, that didn't register at all, maybe think about a different picture. Um, Those that failed math. Yeah, some, yeah. okay, if you're more visual, different <laughs> illustrations. I'll give you three real quick ones. Some say it's like an egg. It has the shell, the yolk, and the white. All three together make one. Or an apple that has the outside, the inside, and, and the core, right, and the, you know, to the apple. Or like water, H2O, exists in three states. There's water, there's ice, and there's steam. And so there's, we're tr we try to wrap our minds around what does this trinity look like and how does that function but in Scripture, there are many different verses, many, many verses, that really talk about this unique relationship between what's called the Godhead, these three, these three persons. And we see it even early on in Genesis at the creation when uh, pronouns are used like us and we. Like He said, we created, you know, God, uh, created man in our image, right? And this idea of relationship. And Jesus saying, saying, the Father and I, we are one. And in the Old Testament, you know, the, 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 our Lord, we have to declare here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And yet we see these different pieces. The Holy Spirit, Jesus said, I'll send you the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, and my Spirit was present. And so we're trying to understand this relationship, and the Trinity has been uh, accepted as the, the doctrine uh, held throughout the Christian churches. Yeah. 
Well, um, for the sake of time, I just want to hit on a few questions here. I'm going to skip around to the, um, this topic, slavery, ISIS, um, <laughs> homosexual couples, and remarriage. And we won't get to all these questions um, just for the sake of time. But And some of these you've already talked about. So some of okay. these were questions, you know. Like, quick. But um, one of the, these is, uh, we are to love each other as ourselves. But how can we love evil, brutal people like ISIS or ISIL and the terrorists? Yeah, that's uh, I mean that's just that's just a tough tough topic. I think one we're not called to to you know condone or to you know to, to cheer on. That's not that's not loving. Loving is also holding people accountable. Loving is also as we do as parents when there's wrong doesn't you know mean your child disobeys that you, you don't love them. Uh, scripture says to pray for those. You know, love your enemies. Jesus says very clearly. You know, you ha- you know you, you've heard the law. It says love your neighbor and hate your enemy in, in Matthew five. But I say love your enemies. Pray for those that persecute you. And so, and then he says in verse 45, in that way you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. And then it says this about God, for he gives sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. So even this, this picture that God loves and that these are his children and that they are deceived and are work, walking mm. in, in terrible ways, but I think praying for them is, yeah. is one of the best ways we can love Should them. Should we invite them to dinner? If uh, <laughs> you check their guns at the door or something, yeah. maybe it would be important, but okay. uh, yeah. absolutely. Uh, and then quickly, so much slavery in the Bible, both the Old and New Testament. Um, why didn't God just decree that there should be no slavery or those, thou shalt not have people as property? Yeah, slavery, and when we think of slavery, I think we, we initially think of the African-American slave trade that took place in our ugly history of, of, as a nation and yet in, in Scripture, slavery is typically not seen in that way. Slavery was much more of a, a social economic status. So you had servants, you had slaves. There were people who would voluntarily enslave themselves to somebody for a period of years to repay debts or to, to just uh, be better taken care of, to have things provided for them. Now, that's not to say there weren't abuses and things. There absolutely were. Scripture talks about the fair treatment of slaves and how that's important. And there are actually scriptures that talk about um, when, when people are purchased and handled in the way that we think of slavery, that that is actually listed alongside of murderers and others that, that are really to be condemned in that way. And so mm. we really see a, a different picture. I mean, I wish it was declared mm. that, that, that way. But I uh, even re- read in the New Testament, uh, Paul saying there's neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek, mm. slave nor free, and really saying that before Christ we should not see and put these, these labels and these levels yeah. on it. And Paul even became really good friends, as we read in Philemon in the book, uh, with, with a slave, called mm-hmm. him a brother in Christ. Yeah. So. And the Bible definitely does not condone slavery. No. It no. almost is radical in its approach to slavery, uh, seeing as how they were not seen as having any rights whatsoever mm-hmm. uh, in the culture. So, um, okay, last, last kind of topic here, and we'll go through these. Try to really quickly. Um, this one, I think a lot of us can relate uh, born and raised in a Catholic church, and church was always required. If one can see and find God anywhere, why are we required to go to church? I struggle with family who believe that church is required to do anything spiritually, uh, including weddings and funerals. Okay. Um, really, there's the, the way that 
the Catholics view church and the way that we view church is, 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 very, is very different. I think that's at the core of the question. I know here we have many who would say they're either uh, former Catholics or recovering Catholics or Catholics in disguise and maybe never left. I don't know. I know there's a lot of pressure and a lot of challenge that comes from leaving the Catholic church. And, and so if you're in the Catholic church, uh, there are many requirements in the, in the sacraments that are required, like weddings and, and Eucharist and things that can only be administered through the Catholic church as they understand themselves to be the, the true church that, that was began by Peter and then the popes that followed in that. And so really that their, their blessing and their uh, sacraments are, are central. And so anything outside of that um, it becomes questionable. And so we have a very different, different view, although I like to ask the question, which is, you know, can you be a Christian and not go to church? Can you be a Christian and not be part of a church? And that'll be some good debate. You can have that over that, that conversation <laughs> over, over lunch. But because you could go both sides, but, but one piece is clear. Scripture talks about the church being God's, uh, Jesus' ongoing presence here on earth, and that Christ is the head and we are the body. And we are to, to be parts of that body. We are integral parts connected. And talks about in Acts how the church formed and they broke bread together. They devoted themselves to teaching and to, to fellowship, to prayer, to worship. And so that our, our life and our experience really is to be experienced through the church. And that, that's really a joy and not a have to and not a must, but a privilege that God calls us to, that we get to be a part of this body that, that supports us and, and loves us and leads us the direction we want to go. Hmm. I think a good closing question as the band comes up and uh, we were prepared to, to leave today, uh, how can we tell if God is speaking to us? How can we tell if God is, is speaking to us? We all want to know that God is there and that he's speaking to us, and sometimes it feels like God is silent. Or maybe you hear somebody say, you know, God told me the other day, and you're going, why is God talking to you, and he's not talking to me? How come you can hear him and I can't? And and I know, I think there was another question too, God seems distant or silent, where, where is he during this time? God speaks in many different ways. Now, some would say they've heard an audible voice. I've never heard an audible voice, but I've felt in my spirit, in my gut, a phrase or a, or a prompting to do something. Uh, sometimes it's in worship. I'm sitting there, and we're, we're singing, and all of a sudden, God, again, pours, pours his presence, and sometimes it's not any word or phrase. It's just an awareness that, that he's there. It happens through good conversation with another believer, or sometimes it comes through reading a good book or a message. And, and God really speaks through all these different ways, through his word that we talked about, revealing himself. And what God does through all these different ways, even as we're in community and connecting, we get to experience God's presence. Even being present in the body of the church is a way that God speaks. And so maybe I would just say broaden your perspective and thinking about what it means the way God speaks to us and watch how he communicates through all these different channels in a way that is usually unified and, and affirming of, of his word as well. Yeah. So, it's a beautiful picture of being in the image of God. All of us are unique but together we make up the church, which is yeah. beautiful. And those essentials, as you mentioned at the beginning, we need to have unity and then we can have um, mm. some liberty in how we interpret some of these other questions. But thank you, Mark. I think yeah. let's give him yeah. a hand. Thanks. <laughs> thank you for your questions. Um, just to, as, we, as we wrap up here and, and close, I think just series, just a reminder that, that questions are important. Don't stop asking questions. Don't just wait for a Sunday morning or a sermon. Ask each other. Go to God's Word. Google it. It's amazing what you can find. I'd had, that's how I did some of my research as well. And, and spend some time. There are answers, but be in conversation. God's not afraid of your questions. He's not afraid of your doubts and your struggles. He's bigger than that, and he will reveal himself. Just keep seeking. We've talked about that verse. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be open to you, right? And God is faithful to do that. So let's stand together as we uh, close in, in worship in this great song that, that encourages us to keep seeking. Thank you.